Come on, praise God. Come on, somebody shout amen. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, you look awesome this morning. Praise God. I want to thank God. Uh, I want to thank the Lord for all the fathers in the building. Amen. If you had an amazing father, somebody shout amen. Amen. I know I did, and my father really greatly impacted my life in a way that could not even be uh, quantized or at all. My father really just changed my entire life. And so I want to thank God for all the fathers in the building. And I want to tell all the gentlemen in the building who have kids you don't take care of, go take care of your kids. Amen. Pastor said it. If you got some stragglers out there, take care of your babies. All the women said amen. And uh, we thank God for all the men who stepped in the gap or stood in the gap for uh, maybe their wives' children, stepchildren. I, I honor you. Uh, it's an amazing thing to do. Amen. And uh, it's needed in today's society. We just thank God for all of you fathers. Come on, let's bow our heads as we go before the Lord in prayer. I have a number of scriptures for you, and then we will transition into our last segment of our Living Like Christ series. Come on, let's bow our heads, dear Heavenly Father. We thank you for this time of worship. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in the midst of this church. Father, we thank you for every single person. We thank you for every single volunteer, every single person in our setup crew and our, set, our Sunday staff. Father God, we ask you now, God, that you would see our hearts, that you would speak to us. We've come to receive from you, Father. Come on, somebody say, I came to receive. Father, we've come to draw near to you, to hear your word, to fellowship as one body. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And the church said, amen. I have a couple of scriptures I'd like to read to you today. Of course, first one is our flagship scripture that we've been having on this series, which is 1 John Chapter 2, verse 6, in the Apostle John, he writes these words. He says, whoever claims to live in him, meaning if you call yourself a Christian, if you are going to take on the role and the banner of a Christian over your life, he says this, you must live as Jesus did. Amen. For the last few weeks, we've been looking at the life of Jesus, pointing out different principles, characteristics, and things that Jesus did very distinctively. And each thing Jesus did impacted the people around him. And most times to the point of changing their lives permanently. Somebody say permanently. Jesus comes in contact with blind people. They walk away with sight. He comes in contact with the centurion and his servant is healed. He meets the tax collector and he goes from being a thief to being one who repays. He comes in contact with demon-possessed people and they're immediately set free upon the word of Jesus. But there was one thing that Jesus did where everything that he did flowed out of. And we find this in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. And this is what Paul writes. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mine. Do nothing. Somebody shout nothing. Oh, come on, shout it. Somebody shout nothing. Out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But he says this, rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you do to the interests of others. And then he says this, he says this, your attitude, somebody said, mm-hmm, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. 
the Apostle Paul, in his second missionary trip, visits a Roman city called Philippi. And in this Roman city, Paul plants a church. This church, during Paul's imprisonment, has sent Paul money and people in order to minister to his needs and help him while he was imprisoned. And Paul now is writing this letter of thanks to this church in Philippi. And he's thanking them, and he's also exhorting them and encouraging them to live a lifestyle that is like Jesus' life. He's exhorting them to be practical in their Christianity. And he says, listen, if you've found comfort in God's love, if you have found peace, if you have found joy, has anybody found comfort in God's love? Has anybody found peace? Has anybody found freedom in Jesus? Have you found any joy while walking with God? Come on. Have you found any encouragement while being saved? Is that you today? He says, well, make my joy complete. In other words, that's all good, but complete my joy by doing this, by being like-minded. In other words, he's saying this, let nothing as a church divide you. For if we live united, we live as Christ did. He says this in verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. Paul says, do nothing out of selfishness, but in humility do things. Paul challenges the church. In other words, I want you to live a life of humility, live a life of being humble. He's challenging the church in Philippi to exercise the virtue of humility. Think of others as superior or better than yourselves, putting others first, putting ourselves last. He says we should do nothing out of vain, meaning selfish conceit, pride. He says, do nothing out of selfish pride. And then Paul drops this challenge to not just the church in Philippi, but to all believers. He says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. The attitude of Christ is what every believer should clothe themselves with. The attitude of Jesus. We have tons of attitudes in today's world. Tons of attitude that make Christians very unchristlike. We have selfish attitudes. Uh, 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 that whole, I deserve this. I come first. I am, I don't care what nobody else thinks. This is what I think. Selfishness at the core is the desire to please the needs of self before anyone else. Selfishness leads to greed. It leads to all types of strife in the body of Christ and in people's relationships. And selfishness is rooted and grounded in pride. There's all types of pride. There's all types of attitudes in the body of Christ. There's attitudes of jealousy where we hate one another. Attitudes of bickering and attitudes of just downright hatred and attitudes of wanting other people to fail. And there's that neck attitude that people, when they talk, everything moves with their neck. No, okay. There's all types of just attitude. Have you ever met somebody who has attitude for no reason? Hey, what you doing? Why? Will they suck their teeth before every syllable? I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, attitude of every kind. There's all types of attitudes. I heard it put like this before. Maybe you've heard it. Attitudes are contagious. Is yours worth catching? Can I challenge you, do people know you're a Christian based solely on your attitude? Do people know you're a follower of Christ based solely on your attitude? Is your attitude always depressed? Is your attitude always stressed? Is your attitude, you know, one of the prominent attitudes in our society is the attitude of a victim. Always playing the role of a victim. My life is this and woe is me and my life is that. And no, 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 you should have the attitude of Christ. A major part of the problem in the church as a whole across America is we have attitudes, self-righteous attitudes where you want to judge everybody and, and minimize your mistakes but maximize the problems of others. Self-righteousness, thinking you are more godly than others. Self-righteousness, people love to correct others but yet they pretend to have a level of holiness that they don't possess. They put this facade on. 
There's all types of attitudes. I could talk about attitudes all day, all manner of nasty, bad attitudes, but yet attitudes bring division into the body of Christ. Attitudes bring division into your lives. If you have a problem keeping friends, you got an attitude problem. You got a problem with people always turning their back on you. Maybe it's not people, maybe it's your attitude problem. There has to be some self-reflection that says, what is wrong with my attitude that people don't want to catch what I got? I've never met a happy person without friends. I've never met a joyful person. Have you ever known the person who's just contagious with joy, happy? Maybe not. I know a couple of people who are just happy as all heck. My pastor, Philip Pimlot, he's always happy. It could be the worst time in his life, worst circumstances. He is happy. How you doing, Pastor B? Oh, the Lord is blessing me mightily, fully pay, and I'm having a great time here in Baton Rouge. And he just goes on and on and on. And every time I talk to him, he's so upbeat. But then I talk to other people. Man, I'm just going through. I'm barely making it in. That's not the attitude of Christ. Because when you have an attitude of depression, that attitude is focused inward. Focused on self's problems. And depression and stress, it's all rooted in selfishness, which is rooted in pride. Because if my problems were fixed, the world would be great. But here's the thing that I've realized in my life. My mom taught me this many years ago. She said, she said, Felipe, if God's given me this burden to carry for others, I'll carry it. I'll be the depressed one if others around me are happy. And some people don't realize that God might put some struggles on you and allow you to carry some things in your family, in your community, in your surroundings that nobody else can carry. And in the process of that, your attitude should be like that of Christ Jesus. Your attitude should be like that of Christ Jesus. And Paul charges the church. He says, listen, if you're going to have an attitude, have the one Jesus had. And what did Jesus have? He had an attitude of humility. I want to preach to you today over the next 20 minutes of the attitude of humility. Verse 6, Paul says this, talking about Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider himself, or rather did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. So Paul says, imitate what Christ did. And what Christ did was Christ in his nature, in his very nature, he was God in the flesh. Jesus was God in the flesh. He was literally God wrapped up inside the flesh of a man. So Jesus knew that he was God, but yet he did not consider himself equal with the Father. If you're going to live like Christ, here's number one for today. You need to think less of yourself and more of others. Jesus gave honor and praise to the Father. And all that he did, he glorified the Father. He said, I only do what the Father asked me to do. I am here to do the will of him who has sent me. He did not consider or contemplate that he was equal with the Father. He never tried to reach for equality. He always thought of his Father as greater than him. Jesus lowered himself in order that he might become a servant for his Father. Jesus humbled himself. Humble, by definition, is having or showing modest or, low, or a low estimate of one's own importance. Jesus Jesus is arguably the most important man in the history of all of mankind. But yet right there in Scripture, Paul says that Jesus, he lowered himself in importance in his own mind. Can, can I tell you something? If you lower yourself in importance in your own mind, it doesn't mean it makes you less in the minds of others. The Bible says you have to think less of yourself. The problem with many people today, we think way too highly of ourselves. Some things are beyond us, and we're too good for this, and we're too good for that, and we walk around people we don't like because we're too good for them. But Jesus thought less of himself. Peter writes this in 1 Peter 5, 5, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. And then he says this to everybody, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Why? Why? Because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Do you know that if you have pride in your life, God opposes you? Do you know that pride was the first original sin? And if you're thinking right now that you know somebody with pride, think about yourself. Because you have pride, undoubtedly. Jesus understood there was power 
and favor from God when one humbles themselves. And Peter encourages the church, you should clothe yourself in humility. You should wear humility as you would wear a garment. You should let humility shield you. You know, he says, clothe yourselves. And when I think of that, I think of the nakedness of Adam and Eve and how they walked around in naked and they were in sin and they covered themselves to protect themselves. He's saying humility will protect you. Humility will keep you from being offended. Humility will always treat others better than you treat yourself. Humility will help you and protect you through this life. Clothe yourself in humility. The opposite of humility is pride, and pride is the pitfall of many. Pride is the overestimation of one's importance. We think too much of ourselves. We think less of others and care more about ourselves. Proverbs 29, 23, Solomon writes this, One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Isaiah writes this in 66, verse 2, All these things my hand has made, talking about God. And so all these things came to be declared the Lord, but this is the one who I look at, he who is humble and contained and contrite rather in spirit and trembles at my word. Church, you want God to be observant to you? You want God to look at your needs? You want God to bless your family? You want God to be in your life, be pervasive in your life and to be powerful and effective in your life? Then you have to humble yourself. You can't, you can't sit there and, and want God to take control when you think more of yourself than when God thinks of you. You can't do that. When we walk in humility, we look at others as better than ourselves. When's the last time you really walked around thinking about others as better than yourselves? If we're, if we're honest in today's day and age... We, we look at everybody else and we'll judge their clothes, we'll judge how they walk, we'll judge who they're walking with, we'll look at them and we'll size them up according to who they're around and to what they're wearing and we'll make an estimation of them. I wish we'd be honest today. And we make an estimation of who they are and their level of importance and we say, I don't know about that person, I don't need to talk to them or I don't this or we'll look at somebody's pictures on Facebook or Instagram and be like, well, I don't know about that. Uh-huh. Heard some chuckling in the third or fifth row back there, I don't know. And we say, I don't know about this person. Did you see this? If you ever text somebody to look at somebody else's Facebook, you're dealing with some pride issues. You're not thinking, you're not thinking less of yourself. I got half of y'all with that one. Like, whoo. If you've ever Snapchatted somebody to look at somebody's Facebook, you got a problem. And we, I, wish, I wish we'd be honest today. We're such a social society and that we will judge people based on what we can see. Not knowing who that person is and we'll estimate ourselves as better than them. Why did that person cut me off on the highway? If you had humility, you could let the whole world cut you off. But because you think less of yourself, it won't matter. Why did this lady cut me off? I was in the line at the grocery store, and she just came with her little cart and her little son, and she thought her three-year-old was holding her place, and so she just took and cut me off past her, and I yelled at her, well, where's the humility in Jesus Christ? We're quick to get ratchet, but we're not quick to get holy. We're quick to go act how we want, but not act how God would desire us. And, and, and I'm telling you, those reactions are based out of one's own estimation of themselves that is rooted in pride and think you deserve something. Jesus was getting slapped and beat and did not even talk. He was crucified, and the Bible says he was like a lamb to the slaughter. He thought less of himself in order that he might be exalted by God because humility thinks more of others than it does of yourself. And if you struggle with pride, I am telling you now, God opposes you, and you are walking away from the blessings of God. Listen to Psalms 147, verse 6. The Lord lists the humble, but he casts the wicked to the ground. The Lord lifts the humble. Verse 7, verse 7, verse 7. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Jesus made himself nothing. This phrase is a literal sense. It means that Jesus emptied himself. 
Jesus emptied himself of his will. He emptied himself of his desires. He emptied himself of his needs and his wants. And he pushed all of his human feelings to the side. And Jesus was empty in order that the Father would fill him. Do you know why God can't use half the people in the church? Because they're too full of their own feelings. You can't preach to people you hate. You can't love people that you hate. You can't do good things to people that you don't like because it burns up your, your flesh. It burns you up. And so, so many people are so full of their own desires of what you would want, God. When I came to Christ as a pastor, I had to empty myself and say, God, what would you desire of me? I don't, I could have a million ideas as a pastor, but they're all for nothing if they're not in line with what God desires for my church. Have you ever sat down and emptied yourself of your desires and your plan for your life and your will for the day and said, God, what would you have me to do? God, what do you want from me? God, where are you taking me in this day? Lord, what is your plan for my heart in this morning? What's your plan for my life? Jesus emptied himself. The word nature in scripture is translated as form. Jesus took on the form of a servant. The life of a servant is revolved around the desires of what the master would want. Matthew 20, 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We see exhibited in the life of Jesus that he came to serve, somebody say serve, others. He came to serve you, and he came to serve me. And Jesus performed all the things the Father would ask of him because by nature, a servant serves. By nature, that's what a servant does. Some people make a decision on a, on a weekly or monthly or bi-monthly basis in terms of God. You make a decision whether to serve or not. I'll serve in the church today. I'm feeling up to it. I'll usher this day. I'll do that this day. But I chose to be a servant. And because what a servant naturally does by nature is to serve, whether I feel good or not, I serve. Let me go a little bit deeper. Some of you choose daily to serve God, but I've chosen to be a servant of God. And so because I am a servant of God, I automatically have to serve God because I've made myself a servant of him rather than a maybe a a participator when I want to or when I'm feeling good or when someone hasn't upset me. Some of you need to choose to be a servant rather than choosing to serve because in the nature of a servant, you automatically serve. As opposed to saying, well, maybe today if I feel good and God gives me everything that I've asked for in my prayer closet, I'll do it. Choosing the nature, somebody say the nature of a servant. Jesus took on this nature and he served. He didn't put on the clothes for a servant for one day. He didn't just do it on the Lord's day. He lived a lifestyle of servanthood by taking on the nature, meaning the inner qualities of a servant. We have to take on the inner qualities of God. Can I tell you something? If you have been in church for years and you have not changed, you are doing all the exterior things, but you need to change the interior qualities of your life. Change the interior, change the attitude, change the perception, change the outlook. Take on the humility, take on the nature of Christ, the servant nature that puts others' needs before yourself. Far too often, all we serve is self. We are self-serving. We're focused on our desires and our lives. But church, to live like Christ and to walk like Christ means to serve others. Serving others. Look around you right now. Look at somebody. Look at at somebody you don't even know. God's called you to serve the person you don't know. I got this guy. I got this guy, and he comes to the church. He used to come in his red truck. His name is Lionel. And uh, my office staff, you know who he is, and he, he's like, he comes in, he's this old Haitian guy, and, and Lionel always stinks, and Lionel is always smelling like liquor, and Lionel half the time is always drunk, uh, but when Lionel comes, I got to make sure I give him a hug. I got to make sure if I got a couple of dollars in my pocket, I'm going to give it to Lionel. Chances are he might buy liquor with it, but you know what? I made him smile for a day. And he goes, oh, pastor, pastor, this is my pastor. He's coming down from down the street. He, 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 pastor, I see you, pastor. 
They took my car, pastor. I have bad back. Bad back. Bad back, pastor. An elder, elder's been at the church the last couple of days. This guy comes by almost every day. An elder was there the other day, and we were outside, and he said, pastor, my back, my back. I was like, Lionel, I bet you got a beer in your bag, but you're asking me for money. No, pastor, I don't drink. Pastor, I don't drink. And so I said, I said, open your bag. If you don't got a beer in your bag, I'll give you, I'll give you money right now. No, pastor. I said, Lionel, open that bag. I'll give you 20 bucks. No, pastor. I'll buy you lunch right now. He's opening his bag. and I'm, Look right there. That's a nice cold beer. He's like, but pastor, he just gave it to me down the street. <laughs> what, am I, what am I talking about? What, what, am, what am I talking about Lionel? Because Lionel is less than fortunate. Lionel's homeless. Lionel's just some guy. I don't even know who he is. Every time he comes to me, he tells me his story. He tells me how people stole his car. He tells me how he's been in the hospital. Always has a hospital wristband. I, I don't know why he's in the hospital. He always has a bad back. Lionel, Lionel always is asking me for at least five. No, he says, I need $20 for lunch. And I say, why? I like steak. I like, I like lobster. I'm like, I'm not eating steak and lobster, Lionel. But you want 20 bucks for lunch? Are you crazy? The other day he says, well, can I use your car? I'm like, no, you can't use my car. Yours went missing. Y'all want to give you mine? No, you can't use my car. Well, how about the red one? That's my favorite color. That's my wife's car. You're going to die. Trust me. Don't do it. And he's asking me all these questions and asked me for a ride to the train station. So we gave him a ride to the train station, to the bus station. And what's my point? What's my point? I could take that $5 in my pocket and say, I'm more important. I want that coffee tomorrow. Or I could say, you know what? This is going to bless Lionel. I think of Lionel as more important than myself. I don't care how I smell after I hug him. I don't care how many times he wants to hug me. Usually it's about seven times a session within a 20-minute span. Oh, pastor, pastor. That's all right. He had seven different shirts on, sweating in the sun. But you know what? When you think of others as better than yourself, it's easy to love people. It's easy to serve people. It's easy to say, yeah, Lionel, I'll give you a ride. Man, that's not a problem, bro. Come on, hop in the car. It's easy to say, Lionel, I'll give you, I'll get you lunch today. And me and Lionel are so close, we're not at that level where I say, well, I'll go buy you lunch because I don't know what you're going to do with my hard-earned money. No, I say, Lionel, here, here it is. Whatever this does for you, you do it. I told him the other day, if you drink with that money, I pray God gives you, you know, just a bellyache or something. No, pastor, I would never do that, pastor. But people like Lionel are the exact same people God's called you to love. Those are the exact same people that God's called you to make a difference in your life. God's not called all of us to the rich and famous. God's called most of us to the poor, the broken, the hurting, the dying. God's called us to them. God's called us to those who are hurting and and just need the church to lift them up. Churches are filled with people who don't know the value of being a servant. And then there's other people who figure out the value of being a servant and they grow. The churches that grow the most are the churches that are full of people who love to be a servant, love to do for others without any wanting of their own, love for, the, for, the, for God just to be a, let them as an instrument use them to bless others. But then you have others who come to church with a mentality of a consumer as if we're at Walmart and we're shopping. I like that song. I don't like this song. The preaching was, meh, that was okay. Let's check the next one out. That's not how God's called us to be. God's called us to be not just a consumers, but producers in his church. He's called us to serve in the church. He's called us to be a servant. But you can't get past that pride attitude. Why should I do this? Why should I help? Why should I have to? The answer shouldn't be why should I, it's why shouldn't I. It's not why should I help, it's where can I help. It's not why should I do, it's pastor, what can I do? In your walk with God, it's, it's called serving God because we're supposed to serve God. You ever, you ever had somebody say, are you serving God? Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If you do, you're supposed to be serving God. Let me ask you a question. What are you serving God? You see, when my wife serves and I have company at my house, my wife will cook and she cooks good. And the other day, I had Jonathan and Jessica over my house. And me and John were being fathers. We had the babies. And uh, no, he had his baby. Mine was in the swing, just swinging. And, and, and my wife comes in after she cooked and she served me a plate. And all the good women said amen. And she served me a plate. 
And she brought it to me, and she said, Lewis, is that enough? I said, yeah, baby, that's enough. And she said, do you want something to drink? I'm like, yes. And she went back. She goes, do you want Malta or you want water? I want Malta. And all the Puerto Ricans said, Amen. And then she went to Jonathan, and she brought John a plate, and she brought Jess a plate, and she brought everybody a plate who was in the house, and got everybody something to drink, and got everybody a paper towel, and everybody a fork. And then afterwards, she made everybody coffee. Somebody said, oh, Lord Jesus, amen. And then, and then after that, after that, she made sure everyone was content. Because when you're serving others, when you leave God's house, is he content? Did you ask him if you gave him enough? If you've, if you, did you worship to the full extent of, you, of what you could have? Or were you on your phone half the time, Facebooking it, tweeting it, Instagramming it? Were you, were you checking your text messages? Were you looking around saying, I don't know why she worshiping like that. Put your hands on your armpit stink. What, what, what were you doing? I, I feel like sometimes when people come to church, have you ever driven on the highway and then realized you were three exits further away and you don't know how you drove there. Just got zoned out. You were autopilot 95 from about 30 to about 26. Next thing you know, you're by Warden Avenue. You don't even know how you got there. You're just like, wow, I'm on Warden? All right. Sometimes that's how it is in church. You come and you're just on autopilot. You don't even know what's going on around you. Oh, it's over? Oh, okay. Thank God. Do you serve God? Serving means you bring something to him. Serving means you do something for him. But all of our Christianity is consumed on what God can do for us. But yet, in reality, God's already done everything he has to do. He's provided everything you would need for God in living. God has given you everything. But we consume our prayer life asking for stuff. We consume, God, help me. I'm tired today. I need a touch from you. Instead of just, God, you're worthy in spite of how I feel. God, you are majestic. You're a magnificent God. You are all-powerful. You've done so much that I can't even begin to imagine in my life. That's the heart of a servant. A servant serves no matter what. Do you realize that? On a bad day, the servant serves. On a sick day, the servant serves. On a good day or a bad day, we're called to serve. My wife does an amazing job at serving. My job's supposed to be the cleanup. I'm not that good at that stuff. At the end of every meal, Lewis, you're supposed to clean up. I was going to get it. I was going to get it. And sometimes that's how it is with us. God is great at serving us, but we're not good at reciprocating what God's supposed to do for us and what we're supposed to do for him. In contrast, with all that God has given you is how we should measure what we give God. We should give him our best. Somebody say, my best. Can I ask you something? Whenever God calls your number, whenever it's time for you to meet the Lord at the pearly gates, will God be able to look at you and say, wow, you really advanced the kingdom of heaven. You really went above and beyond to do everything I called you to do. Have you ever thought about that? When you get to heaven, what will the conversation with you and God be? Church, I would challenge you, you should desire for that to be that you advance the kingdom, you move the vision forward, that you saved lives, you touched people, and you did God's will. That should be what you desire of your walk with God. You should serve God. Mark chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus talking to his disciples who have been arguing about who would be the greatest. He said this, he sat down and called the 12, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, He must be last and servant of all. If you want to be first in God's eyes, he's called you to serve everybody. People you don't like and people you do like. He's called you to serve people who have hurt you and people who have done good to you and people who have done bad to you. God's calling you to every single person. You can't be a servant when you think too highly of yourself. You can't be a servant when God, when when, when you are elevating your opinion of yourself. Whatever God's called me to do, I'll do it. If it means cleaning bathrooms, I'll do it. Last week I was cleaning the bathrooms when, when our brother came into the church to have lunch with me. I got to do whatever God calls me to do. Nothing is too great for a servant to do. Nothing is beneath a servant's call. In the end, 
You have to commit your life to serve the purpose of God, to fulfill the plans of God for your life. And Jesus took on the nature of a servant. He emptied himself of his own will, of his own attitude, of his own deity, and he did what the Father asked him to do. Do you exhibit the servant nature of Christ? I'm not speaking of the one or two things you might do that are good. I'm talking about a lifestyle, church, of being a servant for God. In order to live like Christ, our humility will lead to servanthood. The abandoning of our wills, like Jesus, you must become nothing and empty yourself before God. Here's number three. Here's number three, verse eight. And being found in appearance, somebody say, as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. I love how Paul illustrates that he makes an immediate connection and he asserts that humility leads to obedience in God. Jesus could not have been obedient to God without humility. He was equal to God and in essence God, but he humbled himself to do what the Father said. John 6, 38, for I have come down, Jesus talking from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus makes it clear why he's come to this earth. He came to do the will of the Father, so he humbled himself and became obedient unto destiny. Then Paul writes that he is, he is saying that even he went as far as to die in order to fulfill his Father's desires. Pastor, what are you saying? I am telling you that your obedience to God should have no end. And if you have a problem with obedience, it's because you have a problem with humility. Because when you can't do God's will, it's because you think too much of your own will. And Jesus had a humble spirit, a humble life. And because of the humility of Christ, he was able to do the will of the Father. He was able to follow God's will. Have you ever had that person who's offended you and you knew God told you to humble yourself? You knew God just told you to forgive that person. They know not what they do. God wants us to humble ourselves and he wants us to come to the point of death of our flesh, of our attitude, of our self-righteousness. If you're having trouble following God's word and obeying his will for your life, I want to tell you, you have an issue with humility. An issue where you don't want to humble yourself before God. You don't want to do the will of God. Pride places the agenda of your life above the will of God's for you. That's what pride does. Pride elevates self. Pride makes you think that self is good enough and self is better. But humility says, man, I'll do anything to honor my father. You know, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, you know, I didn't care if my dad got mad at me. That never bothered me because I would get my dad mad all the time. I was a little wild. Who was that? Settle down there, honey. But you know what really hurt me? When I would act up, and I was used to dad being upset at me because, you know, I was just Louis or Felipe back then. Amen. And, and, and so some days he would just look at me as I was, you know, he didn't even beat me those days. The days where you didn't get hit were the worst. You almost wish you got hit because he would just be like, son, I'm disappointed in you. And to me, that was, I'd rather you beat me than tell me you're disappointed because disappointment in my mind Makes me feel like you just lowered me down a peg or two. Like you lowered your expectations for me. Getting beat just means you know better. But when you, I'm disappointed, he just lowered you down. And oftentimes, when I'm walking in the will of God, I don't want to disappoint God. You know, when you're dealing with sin and you're dealing with the things of the world and the plots and ploys of the enemy, the number one reason why you will stay away from sin is because you don't want to hurt God. That's humility, that you think more of God than you do of yourself. Pride feeds itself. Pride will say, well, I don't care. God will forgive me. That's pride, not caring about how you hurt God and not caring about how you look towards God. But humility says, I don't, I don't want to hurt God. Humility says, you know what? God's will is more important than what I want in this very second right now. God's will is greater than my, my 20, 30 minutes of making myself feel good. God's will is greater. 
Humility allows you to do that. Humility makes you think less of yourself, think more of others, and it makes you think less of yourself and think more of God. Think about all the problems in life today. We have just so much pride. You know what the problem with pride is? I thought this was cute. I, thought I saw it in a kid's little curriculum, but I still thought I'd use it today. That's fine. The problem with pride is I is always in the middle. That's, that's the problem with pride. You got that, Michelle, a little bit late? Okay, honey, it's all right. 20 seconds later, well, that was really good. The problem with pride is that I am at the center. You think of, I was just thinking about some of these, these raucous parades they have. They call them pride parades because I is at the center. And because the will of self is at the center. And the will of me and the power of me and the thought process of me is taking center stage. Everyone look at me. Think about how we dress today. We dress for everyone to look. I wish we're honest. We don't just dress so that we look good to ourselves. I'm going to prove it right now. I'm going to prove it right now. All the women, I'm coming up your street right now. All the married folks, I'm coming up your street right now. Somebody say, put your seatbelt on. Husbands, you're going to love me after this. So your wife is getting ready for the 37th time in the morning. She's on her 57th shirt, 27th skirt. She's been through 12 pairs of pants. How do I look? <laughs> Honey, you look great. I don't like it. I'm going to change it again. And all the men said, and all the women said, (laughs) you don't understand. That's why, that's why, this is why men can get ready in 30 minutes. Amen. But the women, what time do you go to work at, 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 at nine? I have to get up at five. What for? This don't happen by accident. And you, and check this out. You put on 30 outfits in one day. Now, here's the thing. I've done it before. I've done it before. Maybe twice or three times. You know, and I'd just be like, I don't know if I like this shirt. Honey, what do you think? This one or this one? And she'd be like, the black shirt. I'd be like, okay, I'm wearing the black shirt. Because I trust my wife's opinion. But she don't trust mine. I'd be like, honey, you look good. Yeah, I don't know. But this is proof positive that we don't dress for ourselves. Because if the people most important to us think we look fine and we're still changing our outfits, we care what other people might think. All the men clapped and all the women were like, I don't like that point. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Check this out now. What does it matter? At the heart of the matter, at the heart of the matter, excuse me if I'm walking up your street, there might be a little bit of too much caring about the self-image. If the person most important to you in the world says you look great, nothing else anyone should say should matter. But yet, yet oftentimes when God says we're doing good and the world says we're not, we'll listen to the world and not God. Oftentimes when, when you're, in, you're in worship and you're worshiping God and you don't want to worship God the way you should because you don't want to know that people know you can't sing and, and you don't want people to know and then you don't bring people to church with you because you don't want them to know you're serving God or, or just you just don't give God the, the, the praise you should because you don't want to look like a fool to people. How many times, how many times has God told you to do something wild like just start jumping and praising his name and you felt that and you didn't do it? Because you cared about self above God. I remember when I was in Rwanda, Africa, and, and God always messes with me. And, and God was like, I want you to, um, I was like, God, these are a bunch of Africans here. Um, they don't speak English. I got to preach today. I was preaching two services. One of them was English. One of them was going to be a translator. And I'm like, Lord, you know, I don't know about this thing, man. They're going to understand what I'm saying. I talk fast. I'm short. You know, I don't think they're going to see me, Lord. I don't know what's going to happen. They're like, there's going to be like, you know, 400 people. I look back, like eight, 900 people back there. And they're all just, I'm just like, oh, my God. And the Lord's like, you know what, Lewis? Just, just surrender yourself and just bow down and worship me. I want you to get on your knees right now to begin to worship me. I'm in the middle of Africa. I'm, I'm not getting on my Africa, no. I don't want nobody to hit me with a spear or something. No, 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 no. Blow going. No. You know, Ricky wasn't there with me. And I'm like, Lord, you know, no. And I'm like, I'm like, Jesus, 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 Jesus. If this is really you. You, know, if it's, you ever test God like this? If you want me to dance, have so-and-so dance. Like, you know. 
I'm like, you know what, God? If you want me to drop to my knees and worship you, if that's really you, I want you to have Pastor Carmen do it. I said it. I got to that word it, and Carmen just hit the floor. I'm like, gee, thanks. Really? Needless to say, I worship God, but I was too concerned with what other people might think. And I'm not proud enough, you're too proud to say it. I was concerned with what these Africans, who I would probably never see in my life again, would think of me. And then, and then I, I knew at one point that it was useless to care about what they thought about me because the drummer picked up the drums in the air and started playing. I'm just like, wow, okay, these guys don't care. They were dancing all types of ways. And I'm like, they don't care. Why was I so concerned with my image? Because in our culture, we're so concerned with our image. We care about how many followers we have on Instagram and how many friends you have on Facebook. And it's just, you're a whole different person. You put up this whole facade on your social media, and, you, and it's called Facebook, not Fakebook. And, and the thing about it is, 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 that, is that why do we care so much about what people think about us? And here's the reason why. Here's the reason why. Because we lack humility in our lives. We lack the, the spirit that says, it doesn't matter what no one else thinks of me, but as long as I'm serving God to the best of my abilities... I am doing all right. Humility is the opposite of pride. Humility threatens pride. And where there is humility, pride cannot exist. Humility naturally encourages and produces obedience to God. Matthew 26, 39, Jesus says this, and going a little further, rather, Matthew's writing this, he fell on his face and he prayed, talking about Jesus, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Church, do you realize this, that Jesus did not want to die? Right there, it says it. He said, Father, I don't want to do this. This is going to hurt. This is going to be tough. Have you ever been in a place where God has asked you to do something that you know is going to hurt? That you know is going to be tough? That you know is going to be challenging? When that happens, oftentimes we walk away from that challenge. We say, I don't know about that. God, you want me to give up what? I'm going to reach out to who? But here Jesus is like, you know what, Father? I don't want to die. But he says the key words, Father, not my will, but yours. Aren't you glad that he did that for you and me? Where would we be if Jesus had not surrendered his life as a servant? Where would we be if Christ had not done what he called us to do? Somebody asked your neighbor, where would we be? Obedience to God should not have a limit. Jesus was obedient to the point of death. Can I ask you a question? Is there a place where you will not go for God? Because Jesus had nothing he would not do for the Father. John 4, 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who has sent me and to accomplish his work. John 4, 34, Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me. In other words, I find fulfillment and contentment in doing God's will. I find purpose in my life when I do the will of my Father. He says, my food, my food is doing my dad's will. Church, there is fulfillment in doing God's will. There is fulfillment in following God's purposes for your life. Here's my favorite part, number five. Here we go, verse nine. Therefore, Therefore, meaning in light of. Therefore, meaning because Jesus was humble. Therefore, meaning because he took on the nature of a servant. Because he surrendered himself. Therefore, somebody shout, therefore. Because Jesus was a servant, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Church, do you realize that when you humble yourselves, God will exalt you? You don't have to exalt yourself. That is the role of God. James 4.10 says this, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Humble yourselves before God and he will lift you up. Far too often we spend our lives exalting ourselves, hyping ourselves up, pumping up ourselves. We sing our own praises. We want the whole world to look at us. We want the whole world to see what we're doing, see how we're living, to see what we're driving. But if you humble yourself, God exalts you. And to think about the people who God exalts, no man can tear you down. Nothing anyone says about you 
can tear you down. Church, let God exalt you. Humble yourself. Understand that it is when you humble yourselves that you are most like Jesus. When you take on the nature of a servant, you are most like Jesus. The greatest way you could possibly live like Christ is to be humble. Take on the way of humility. Abandon the lies of pride, the emptiness of pride, and surrender yourself in humility to Father God. I want to challenge you today that some of you have dealt with pride for far too long in your life. Some of you have dealt with issues of self-worth far too long. And yet, here's the thing. If you think less of yourself, you are in a safe place because that is what God would desire of you. You look all through the scripture and God exalts humble people. God exalted David and God exalted Solomon and God exalted Daniel and God exalted these men of God. He did it. They never had to sing their own praises because they were humble men. When we live humble, we live in peace with everyone. Somebody say, amen. People won't have time to hate you when you're humble because you think more of them than you do of yourself. Can I challenge you that humble people don't gossip and humble people aren't selfish. They never seek their own interests. They're always looking to help others and they're always obedient to the will of God. Humility. Clothe yourselves in humility. I humble myself before the Lord. Humble people always forgive, church. Humble people always move forward. Humble people don't live under a spirit of offense. Humble people follow God's will. And humble people are obedient even to the point of death. I read this poem and I'll close with this. I read this poem online as I was studying this about humility. And I was really moved by the Holy Spirit all week long just to try and be as humble as you can. And the thing about humility is you never have to tell someone that you're humble. I had somebody yesterday, and I went to go look at this place, and she was talking to me, this lady. I'd never met her before. She was this um, um, heavy-accented lady, and she was just talking and talking and talking. And I wanted to leave because I was done looking at the place, and I wanted to leave. And she's just talking and talking and talking. And she started bad-mouthing people, and she was talking about former tenants, and she was talking about this and talking about that and talking about this ethnicity and that ethnicity. And then, and then the lady says the unthinkable. She stands there and she has so much gall. She stands there and she's with me and my wife and she's, I'm, she's taller than me. So I'm like this. And, 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 and so and I'm just chilling there. And she's, she says these two words. She's two, she says these two words. She goes, I'm humble. And the, the Holy Spirit said to me, humble people never have to tell people they're humble. Ever. And I want to challenge you. I really do with all my heart. For the next seven days, challenge yourself to be intentional about being humble like Jesus was. And here's this saying. This little poem. And it says, oh, to be nothing. Nothing. Only to lie at his feet a broken, an empty vessel. For the master's use made me. Emptied that he might fill me. As forth to his service I go, broken, unhindered, that his life through me might flow. That's the definition of humility, that you are so humble that God and his will and his purposes can freely flow through your life. That's what God would desire of you, that his will would freely flow. How do you do that? Number one, you think less of yourself and you begin to think more of others. Number two, you become a servant like Jesus did. And number three, servanthood leads automatically to obedience. You know, above anything God wants, above it all, God wants to be obeyed. God wants you to listen to him and God wants you to trust him. Come on, stand with me this this afternoon. Come on, just bow your heads right now. We've been worshiping and we've been talking about God and we've been dealing with the issues of humility. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed. Come on, he's here in this place right now. Don't worry about nobody around you. Now I want to ask you just a couple of questions. This one's for everyone today. Can I, can I ask you this? And every head bowed, every eye closed. And I want to pray today for people who are struggling with pride. 
struggling with pride, struggling with just, you think yourself, you're better, you think this, you think that, you know for a fact God is convicting you of pride. Come on, with every head bowed, every eye closed, if that's you, just shoot your hand up right now. Pastor, I'm struggling, thank you, thank you, with pride, thank you. I'm struggling with pride. I find it hard to look at others and care about them the way I should. Come on, I got about eight, nine hands up right now. Come on, come on. I'm struggling with pride. And it's difficult. Come on, I want to challenge you today that there's freedom from pride in Jesus' name. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're here today. And, and you're struggling with just doing God's will. Come on, if that's you, you're lifting your hand. Say, Pastor, come on. I want to do God's will, but I can't do it right now. I'm not taking on the nature of a servant. I know I should be a servant, but right now I am not doing it. And I want to make that decision today. I want to be a servant after the heart of God. And the third person, you're here today, and you're dealing with issues of obedience. You know, you're serving, but yet you're not being obedient to the will of God in your own life. Come on. You know you're not walking with God the way you should. You're lifting your hand right now. You're saying, Pastor, I know there are things in my life that God I would not want. Come on. I want utter obedience in God. I want to be obedient to the will of God. I want to live and have the attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Come on. The fourth person, you have an attitude problem that is not like Christ. If you have any attitude that is not like Jesus, you want prayer today. Come on. Lift your hands all across this place right now. We want attitudes of humility to replace attitudes of selfishness, attitudes of pride, attitudes of hatred, attitudes of unforgiveness. Come on. God is here in this place today. There is healing in this place today. God is here right now for you. He's here in this place right now. Come on, lift those hands as high as you can. Father, you see every heart. You see every person. Lord, I pray right now over every person that raised their hand. Jesus, that you would manifest yourselves in their lives. Lord, They're making a public declaration, God, that they have an interior private problem, God. They have a problem with pride, a problem with a lack of humility, problems with attitudes, problems with obedience. Come on, I want you to pray this prayer with authority right now. Shout it out in the name of Jesus. I declare for the enemy to loose me right now. Say, I uproot every spirit of pride every lingering work of the enemy every offense that people have committed against me come on say I cast it out that I might have humility that I might humble myself before Jesus I pray this and I declare it and I seal it with the name of Jesus would you lift your hands right now begin to worship him would you begin to worship him right now come on he is in this place he is in this place would you begin to worship him like nobody's watching you would you begin to just shout to him like nobody's listening would you begin to give God that praise right now you know I just I just had the Holy Spirit I just felt this in my heart right now there are some people in this place your life is so broken, you cannot afford not to praise God. Your life is in such a mess, you cannot afford to stand there and try and look cool. God is calling you, and you have to be able to respond to God right now. And right now, it's not about what you want or you deserve. It's about what God deserves. I dare somebody in this moment to begin to praise God like you know He's worthy of it. Begin to praise God like you know He's worthy. Come on, you want God to help you, heal you. God, you're worthy in this place right now. God, you're worthy. God, you're worthy. God, you're worthy. Father, you see every heart. We thank you for touching us, God. We declare freedom right now. Lord, I pray that every wall of pride will come tumbling down, God. I pray that you would break the yoke over their lives. Lord, I pray that you would deliver them right now in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that humility would permeate the church, God. I pray that you would help us to empty ourselves right now. I pray, God, that we would take on the mind and the attitude of Christ in the name of Jesus. Oh, Father, in the name of Jesus. Come on, every head bowed, every head bowed, every eye closed. 
Maybe you're here today and you never made that commitment to Jesus Christ. But today you're saying, I want to make that commitment right now, Pastor, to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to commit my life to him. Maybe you prayed that prayer before, but you know you've been wayward. You've been walking away. Come on, if that's you, we want to lead you in a sinner's prayer right from your seat. Lift your hand up as high as you can, as high as you can. Thank you. I got one. Amen. Come on, two and three. Come on, lifting your hand as high as you can. Come on, I'm done. I'm done with this life of my own. I want to live like Christ in my purpose. Come on. Come on, that's good. Come on. You can do better than that citywide. Come on, begin to worship him. Yes. Come on, amen. Come on, let's pray this prayer with authority. Come on, say, dear Heavenly Father, I want to offer you my heart. I accept your Son as my Lord and Savior. And I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. I declare it with my mouth, and I believe it in my heart. I pray now that you would walk with me all the days of my life that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. Come on, forever. In Jesus' name I pray. Would you begin to celebrate with him right now? Come on, celebrate with him right now. Come on, give us some praise. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, come.